Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you that you've given us your commands because we are your people, because we belong to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be convicted by your law. We would be convicted of our sin and our need of you, and that we would come to you in repentance, and that we would seek to live in obedience to you, God, because you are our God, because you are our Savior, our Redeemer. Lord, we pray for the, our Hispanic brothers and sisters that are uh, studying your word upstairs. We pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you speak to them, Lord. I pray that you use my dad to proclaim your word and your gospel to them. And same for me, Lord. I pray that you fill me with your spirit and all of us here to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we, we are on the sixth commandment. And I will not ask you to stand for this one because uh, in Hebrew, it's literally two words. In English, it's a little bit longer. It's just one verse, uh, Exodus 20, 13. But in Hebrew, it's only two words. So I am going to read Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. This is the word of God. All right, so we have a very stark, clear command here for us. You shall not murder. And before we dive into this command, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit and talk about the foundation for the Ten Commandments, the foundation for the law. Why are we even studying the Ten Commandments, right? I think uh, hopefully that question has been answered by now, but, you know, I just wanted to to go back and, and, and remember that. And ultimately, we are studying the Ten Commandments because they are the Word of God. We are studying the Ten Commandments because God inspired the Bible. God inspired the book of Exodus, and they are in the book of Exodus. But more than that, we are studying the Ten Commandments because God gave the Ten Commandments to His people, to His chosen nation. And as we established on the first sermon in this series, we are God's people, right? We are a chosen race. This is, what, this is what Peter tells us, New Testament, New Covenant believers. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, he says to us, right, to, to the church, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have mercy. The Ten Commandments matter to us because we are God's people. We used to, we used to not be God's people, but now that he has called us out of darkness, we are his people. We belong to him, and therefore we are given these commands. Now, we need to remember that the Ten Commandments were not instructions on how to get out of Egypt, 
right? Rather, they were commands on how to live as a holy people that had already been rescued out of Egypt. In other words, the gospel comes before the law, right? Remember in Exodus 20, verse 1, God says, or verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He reminds them what he has done for them. He reminds them that he has saved them, that he has rescued them from Egypt. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments, right? And so it's the same thing for us. We are reminded of what God has done for us. He has saved us. And therefore, if God has saved you, then the Ten Commandments are for you as well. Now, with that said, it is important for us that we do not read the Ten Commandments as if Jesus had never come right? We should not read the Ten Commandments as if Jesus had never come. We should not read the Old Testament as if Jesus had never come. We look at all of Scripture, we look at the Old Testament and really all of the Bible, we look at it through the lens of Jesus and His work, His, uh, his incarnation, His work on the cross, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His ruling. We look at all of it through that lens. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we cannot just apply them, you know, exactly the way that they were given. We have to, we have to, to pass them through the lens of what Jesus has done. And so, uh, for example, in, in Matthew 5, this is one of the passages where Jesus act, refers to the law, to the Ten Commandments the most. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law in the prophets. I have come to, I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. So Jesus right there is saying that he did not come to abolish, to put an end to the law, but rather to fulfill it. And I think there's a little bit of confusion about what does fulfilling means. And, uh, and so some people believe that fulfilling means to put an end to something, but that would be kind of contradictory, right? It, it would make Jesus to be saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to put an end to it. Like, wait a second, like you, that's just a contradiction, right? But uh, some people have suggested that the meaning of fulfilling is to give a true or complete meaning to something or to provide the real significance of something. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to give the true and complete meaning to the law. And that is exactly what he does in Matthew 5. He goes on to bring up the law the commandments of the law, the uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and he expounds on them. He brings them to something even more complete. So we have here uh, 10 commandments in Exodus 20 <coughs> that have been given to us. The first three commandments are about how we relate to God. And then the, the following commands are about how we rela relate to creation. Right? So on the first three, it's about worshiping God alone. It's about not carving any images or anything, but, but, and, and, you know, worshiping those images. The third command is about bearing God's name properly, right? If God is our God, if we are his people, then we have to bear his name properly. The fifth commandment is about how we work and rest. And then the sixth, sixth through the tenth are about how we deal with other people, how we deal with things with belongings. So this is, you know, this is a very quick summary. I, I know that we can go into a lot more detail, but this is just a brief summary of them. 
But today we're looking at the 10th commandment, which says, you shall not murder. Now, let's talk quickly about what this command prohibits and what it doesn't prohibit. And I'm not going to go into detail in these things. Each one of these topics is complex and, and a, an entire sermon could be devoted or an entire class or article could be devoted to each one of these topics. But I'm just going to mention them in passing because our focus is something else here. So this command does not prohibit, prohibit self-defense. In other words, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, after this, this law is given of not committing murder, there are further laws that provide the ability to defend yourself, to defend your family, to defend your house. And in the process, someone could, you, you, not that you should want to kill someone, but should you happen to kill someone in self-defense, that is not a breaking of the sixth commandment. Uh, another thing that we see in scripture, we see it uh, in, in the law, but we also see it in Genesis 9, is that the sixth commandment is not talking about capital punishment. In other words, uh, you know, it, it, when we only read the command as you shall not kill, that could be a misinterpretation because kill is, is more of a general term. But if we read it, you shall not murder, then it means that it is referring to, the, to specific instances where life is taken. And capital punishment is not one of those instances. In fact, in Genesis 9, God basically establishes capital punishment. Now, again, I know these are difficult topics and, and uh, I'm happy to discuss on them. Uh, afterwards, but I, right now I'm just stating what it does not prohibit and what it prohibits. Uh, another thing that it does not prohibit is the killing in war. So God himself told the people of Israel to go and wage war against certain nations. God himself told the people of Israel that they should go and kill or, or you know, take the life of uh, all of these nations that had reached out the basically the limit of their disobedience to God. So what does this law prohibit then? Well, this law prohibits intentional murder. It prohibits premeditated murder, right? It, it prohibits when someone is thinking about how much they hate someone and they plan on how to kill them, or maybe uh, uh, they don't necessarily plan on how to kill them, but they, they see someone on the spot and they really hate them and they end up killing them. It also prohibits negligent homicide. In other words, it prohibits you from killing someone by negligently doing something or failing to do something. So to give you an example, there is a law in, I, I believe it's in the book of Exodus, where it talks about an ox. And it says that if your ox uh, rams someone and kills them, you have to put the ox to death. And you know, all of us are like, oh, wow, yeah, I don't think I'll, I'll ever uh, have that law apply to me because I do not have oxen. But then it says that if you fail to put that ox to death and it rams, it gores someone again and kills them, then you are guilty of murder. Why is that? Well, because of your negligence, right? Because you knew that this ox was able to kill people. And in fact, it had already, it had already killed someone and you failed to kill this ox. Another, another interesting uh, uh, 
case where this law applies is where the people of Israel are commanded to build fences around their roofs to protect their neighbor, right? All of this is rooted in love of neighbor. And they're commanded to build fences around their roofs so that someone wouldn't accidentally fall and die. And if they fail to build fences around their roof and someone falls and dies, then they are guilty of breaching the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment also prohibits, um, oh no, I think I covered all, I, I covered those things. So in our day, this of course prohibits abortion. It prohibits suicide. It prohibits euthanasia. And, you know, it prohibits homicide and the, you know, first, second degree, all of those things. And again, this is not the emphasis I want to take today. I realize that abortion is a huge topic. I realize that suicide is a huge topic. Euthanasia is big. But again, I don't want to spend all of our time talking about these things. I just want to say that if we take the sixth commandment at face value, these things would be prohibited within or prohibited by the word of God. So if I'm not headed this direction, what direction are we headed then? Well, I want to expound a little bit more on why murder is forbidden. Why is it bad to kill people? Why is it bad to abort babies? Why, why is it bad to murder someone or to negligently take the life of someone else? Why is human life valuable? And the reason that murder is prohibited is because man is created in the image of God. In Genesis 9, after the flood, God, is, uh, God establishes a covenant with Noah. And in this covenant, he establishes that he would require a reckoning for the life of man. And then he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And here's the reason that he gives. He says, for God made man in his own image. The reason why God requires the reckoning for the life of a person is because God created man in his image. The reason why God forbids murder is because human life has value because of the creator, because of God who made humankind and God who made all living things, right? And ultimately all life has value because of God, the creator. And so Human life should matter to us because human life is valuable to God. And now just a quick point of application here before we move on. If humans are valuable because we are created in the image of God, this means that no human life is better than other human life. In other words, I cannot say uh, I, am, I am a more important or more valuable human being than that person over there. Right, Because if what makes my life valuable is that I am created in the image of God, then it means that I don't have any more right than someone else to say, oh, my life is valuable, but yours is not. Right? We, don't, we, we cannot judge by saying, well, you, know, you have different politics than mine, or you think differently than mine, you have a different religion from mine, or whatever it is the case, if they are created in the image of God, which I will argue, and I hope you agree with me, that all humans are created in the, in the image of God, 
then everyone's life is equally valuable. Ultimately, we are created in the image of God and they are valuable in the sight of God because of his mercy, right? If you think about it, why would God place such value upon us? And if we're honest, we can just say it's because of his mercy. It's because of his grace. There is no other God in, <laughs> in, the, in the history of the world and in, in the competing worldviews at the time that the book of Exodus and Genesis were written. There are no other gods that hold human, uh, human life as valuable. All the other gods, they hold human life as disposable. But God is the only God who actually cares about his creation, who cares about uh, human life. To give you an example of this, and I'm going to need the kid. I'm going to need the. I'm going to need the children's help for this. So, kids, are you ready? All right. So, remember the story of Jonah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, let's let's walk through the story of Jonah really quick. What did God tell Jonah to do on the first place? Okay. Okay. And did Jonah go and obey God? No, what did he do instead? He went away. He went to Tarshish. Okay. And then what happened when he was on the boat? There was a storm. And so what happened? Uh, what happened to, well, what did Jonah tell the people to do to calm the storm? To throw them overboard. And, and, and an interesting detail about this story is that the, the sailors who were supposedly pagans, they had more regard for human life than Jonah, right? They did not want to throw Jonah into the sea because they were afraid to kill an innocent person, right? Okay, so what happens after Jonah is in the water? That's right. The, <laughs> the storm was still and then a fish came and swallowed Jonah. And can you remember how many days was Jonah inside the fish? Three, okay. And then what happened after the, after the fish vomited Jonah onto the beach? Well, God, God spoke to him again, right? And he told him, go to Nineveh and preach to that nation. And so he went and preached. And then where did he go after he preached? What's that? Yeah, so he went. Next to the city, you know, at a safe distance, because he was so sure that God was going to destroy Nineveh, that he went up to, you know, say a hill or somewhere, and he went out to look how God would destroy Nineveh. Do you think he liked the people of Nineveh? No, Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. And that's why he went up and, and sat down to see how God would kill the people of Nineveh. And then when he saw that nothing happened, he was so, so angry. And God asked him, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And he's like, yes, I am so angry that I want to die. Right? So Jonah, again, did not love his own life. He was so angry that he wanted to die. And then what did God send for Jonah? He sent a plant. And so how did Jonah feel after the plant was covering him from the, from the shade? 
He felt so good. He was so happy. But then what did God send after that? He sent a worm that ate up the tree. And then Jonah was extremely angry again. And this is the point. God was teaching Jonah a lesson about the importance of human life, about, the import, about his mercy, about his love for his creation. And listen to what God told Jonah. Listen, he told him, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished at night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle. God was teaching Jonah a lesson and was saying, you care so much about this plant, but you are willing for 120,000 people to die? And God is saying, I care for these people because I created these people. I want to have mercy on these people. And so the reason why we do not murder, the reason why the sixth commandment is important is because God cares for human life. God cares for those he created in his image. And he cares so much that God became a human in the person of Jesus. Jesus became flesh. He humbled himself. He became like one of us. He became like a servant. And if, if, if man is created in the image of God, Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. And God cares so much for his creation. God cares so much for his people that Jesus was crucified and murdered by sinful, lawless men to forgive sinful men and women. That's how much God cared about and cares about human life. He cares so much about human life that he sent his son Jesus to be murdered so that us who have sinned against him would be forgiven. Now, some of you may say, well, I've never murdered anyone. <laughs> and I would hope so. I, if you have murdered someone, please come talk to me. We, we need to have a, a, a conversation. But I, you know, yeah, I, I would assume that none of us here has ever murdered a person. But I would respond to you, to all of us, I would say, not so fast. Many of us look at this commandment and we can confidently and safely say, oh, I've never broken this commandment, right? You can accuse me of some other commands that I've broken but this one I've never broken. However, Jesus in his teachings in, in, on the Sermon on the Mount, when he is expounding, when he is bringing the true meaning to the law of God, he brings the sixth commandment up and he brings it to a very convicting point. He says in Matthew 5, verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, I need the children again. Kids, have you ever killed someone? No? Good. I hope so. Uh, have you ever been angry at one of your siblings? Yeah. Have you called them bad names? Yeah. Yeah, and, and do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, you heard that you were told you shall not kill anyone, but he is saying, if you are angry with your brother or sister, if you are angry with your neighbor, if you are angry with another fellow image bearer, if you are angry with someone and you call them names, you insult them, that makes you guilty of murder. That's quite the jump. Some would say, right? What, wait a second, Jesus. We went from killing someone to, to insulting someone. And you're saying that the penalty is the same? And I think the penalty is the same because Jesus is bringing up the true meaning of the, of the sixth commandment, which is that human life is valuable in the sight of God. That fellow, uh, fellow image bearers of God are important to him. And when we are angry at them, when we curse them, when we call them names, when we insult them, we are insulting the image of God in them. And I think all of us can acknowledge that we have a problem with anger, right? There is a, a, a writer called David Paulison, and in a book uh, titled Good and Angry, he's, he, the book is about anger, he has a chapter called, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And then the content, the content of this chapter is, one word. This is a one word chapter. And the, the word is yes. That's it. That's the end of the chapter. Do you have a serious problem with anger? And the chapter says yes. And the point here is to point out that all of us have a problem with anger. Right? All of us, when things do not go our way, when someone does something that, they, that we didn't think they should do, we get angry at them. And sometimes we call them and maybe not to their face, but we call them names in our hearts. We insult them in our hearts. And, and we don't realize, but sometimes we wish they were dead. And this, again, is a violation of the sixth commandment. It is a violation of the law of God that says you shall not murder because people are created in the image of God. And so if, and I hope that you are convicted by this as I am, if you are convicted by this, I want you to remember that Jesus was crucified and killed in our place in order to forgive those who recognize their guilt. Those who repent and those who trust that Jesus' death is enough to forgive us for the murder that we have committed in our heart against our fellow 
humans. And those who are forgiven, because we trust in Jesus, because he has saved us, because of his grace, because of the spirit that he has given us, those who are forgiven actively battle against hatred. Those who are forgiven intentionally seek to love their fellow image bearers. When we fall, we confess our sin and we know that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And we continue to work towards obedience to the sixth commandment of not murdering, not hating, not being angry at our fellow image bearers. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you became flesh. You became a man fully bearing the image of the invisible God. And we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you gave your life. We thank you, Father, that in your plan, your son Jesus would be murdered by sinful, lawless men in order to forgive us sinful people. We thank you for your grace and your love. We ask for your forgiveness for all the times that we've been angry at our brothers, our sisters, our uh, our neighbors. Please forgive us, God and give us of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.